0: which has saved us. And it is because the tomb is empty that we now worship you and we gather here this morning. Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior and it is your name that we lift high. Glorify your name this morning, for you are worthy. And we all pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all here. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We are still working through Romans. That is going to be a phrase you hear until it's 2024, <laughs> Lord willing. So this morning we're going to continue our sermon series in Romans. And if you uh, flip them open, it's going to be Romans chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 15, and I'm just going to go ahead and read them all, all the verses. So follow along with me, if you will. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. This was your word. I pray that all of us would receive that as such. Thank you that it's by faith. Help me to preach this morning and help us all to listen and believe your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we'll be picking up Paul's argument right where Pastor Eric left off last week if you remember his sermon. And if you did not listen to his sermon, From last week, I would highly encourage you to hop on. I believe it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and listen to that. Just not right now. (laughs) But it would be a great one to listen to if you did not hear it. So last week, Eric hammered home that faith alone is the doctrine on which the church will rise or fall. By faith alone. And today we're going to continue in that train of thought by following Paul's argument. So the main question I want us to look at this morning The main question that I think Paul is asking is that, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised? Or another way to put it is, who is this blessing for? Who is this blessing for? So before we get into that, I think we need to back up a little bit and ask and remind ourselves, what is this blessing? What is this blessing? So back up with me and look at verses 6 and 7, which... Eric looked at last week in part. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So what is this blessing that Paul is talking about? It's the same blessing that David mentions Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, covered, and not counted against them. And in the second half of verse 9, Paul says, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So another way to say what Paul is saying is, Abraham was justified by faith. By faith. So the blessing is to be justified which means to be declared righteous, like Eric talked about last week, to be declared righteous. Everyone in this room, we're not practically righteous. We have no righteousness in us of ourselves. We can walk in obedience, but it's always going to be with sin and imperfect. But God has declared us righteous, as if we were. Which means that our sins are not counted against us. They're not counted against you. So those who have the righteousness of Christ accredited to their account because they need it, because they don't have any righteousness of their own, are those who are blessed. And the only way this happens is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Come on, this is review from last week, so this is nothing new. So the man who is blessed is the man who is justified by faith, because it is counted to him as righteousness. Let me say that that again. The man who is blessed is the man who is justified by faith, because it is counted to him as righteousness. So now that we're refreshed on the blessing Paul is talking about, and see that Paul is asking the question, who is this blessing for then? Who is this blessing to be justified for? And before he answers that, we see in verse 10 that he asks another question. Classic Paul, he's asking another question to his question. (laughs) So look at verse 10 with me, the first part of it. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Before or after? So this brings us to the second thing I would like us to examine is What does circumcision have to do with this? What does circumcision have to do with this blessing? Paul is laying out his argument for justification by faith alone, and he brings up circumcision. Why? Why bring this up? Let's first look at what circumcision is before we can answer that question. So turn with me to Genesis 17. We're going to look a little bit in Genesis Genesis 17, here we're going to find that God is making a covenant with Abraham, and if you're familiar with the Genesis story and the story of Abraham, then you know this is not the first time God has made this promise to Abraham. Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, God made this same promise. So look with me at verses 6 and 7 in chapter 17. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring or seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring or seed after you. So notice each time God repeats this promise to Abraham. Abraham was a little bit older, and God revealed more details of this promise, of this covenant, and how it would look. So another way we could say this is that it is progressive revelation. Maybe you've heard that term before, progressive revelation. Meaning that the more we move to the right of our Bible, the more we're going to know about God. The more we move to the right, the more God is revealing himself in further detail. And this is what happened in Abraham's life. God progressively revealed himself because I think Eric said last week, when God reveals his promises, he's not just revealing his promises, he's revealing more about who he is as God. So God progressively revealed himself and his plans to Abraham Abraham over time. So the more Abraham moved to the right of his life, he knew more about God. So now look with me uh, in, uh, in chapter 17, verses 10, Through 14. So this is where circumcision gets brought in. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So you see, this is the first time Circumcision is instituted by God. Circumcision was the removal of the foreskin of the male organ, and God said, this shall be the sign of his covenant. It wasn't Abraham's sign. It was God's sign. Let me repeat that. It was not Abraham's sign. It was God's sign. So that means he determines what it means and how it's applied. It's God's sign. So, and even though that the covenant, which is the promise that God made, and the sign of the covenant, which in the Old Testament, and the Old Covenant, was circumcision, are not the same thing. They are so closely tied together that God said that any male who is not circumcised shall be cut off from his people because he's broken God's covenant by rejecting his sign, which is actually showing unbelief. So it's clear that God took His sign seriously and did not regard it as being neglected lightly. So again, what was circumcision? It was the sign of the old covenant, but that's not all. That's not all. Flip back with me to Romans chapter four. We're going to look at verse 11. Romans chapter four again. Verse 11, the first part, says, "Abraham, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal." Of the righteousness that he had by faith. So Paul says that circumcision is a sign and a seal of the righteousness Abraham had by faith. So what does this mean? The sign and the seal. What does this mean? So, first, what does it mean that circumcision is a sign? John Murray says, A sign points to the existence of that which it signifies. So for example, if I'm driving down the road and I see the sign of Millersburg and I come in and take a shovel and dig up this sign and I take it here with me, probably committing some sort of felony, (laughs) but I have the sign here. I don't actually. Do I actually have Millersburg with me? No, of course not. I have the sign of Millersburg. I don't actually have Millersburg. I have the sign. And the sign is not the same thing as the substance. Because if I had the substance, the whole town of Millersburg would be, would be here right now, and we'd all be, be smushed under it. So I have the side of Millersburg. So the side of Millersburg is not Millersburg, but it points to the, to the reality of it being there. The sign of circumcision that Abraham had pointed to the righteousness he had by faith. Circumcision was not righteousness or justification, but pointed to to the reality of it. This is really important. Now the question is, was it possible for the Jew to have the sign but not the substance? Meaning being justified by faith. Was it possible for the Jew to be circumcised but yet not justified? Absolutely. So a while ago I was listening to a podcast called the Nate Land Podcast, which has Nate Bargatze and a couple comedians. It's a great podcast to listen to if you need to mentally relax and laugh a little bit. But on this podcast, they were talking about maps for some reason, maps, and not just like road maps that all the men re- refuse to read when they're on the road, but like maps that were uh, of the age of explore, exploration. You know, back when that was the big thing they were exploring. You know, they didn't have Google Earth where you can pull up, you know, where's Italy at? Okay. It was, they had to go explore it and they had to walk Italy and they mapped it out. It's kind of why you see some of the ancient maps look a little funky. It's kind of like the picture, but not really since we have, you know, Big Brother and their cameras all over the place, being know, to, to look at, at the world. But the point was, they said, old map makers used to invent a town or a city, randomly wherever they were at, and they put it on the map, and the reason they did that was because that was their trademark, so that if someone took that map and wanted to copy it and sell it as their own, unknowingly, they would copy this fake town, so it would be like if someone uh, copied down Millersburg, but then there was another town called Smillersburg. (laughs) My imagination on the fly is not that good, I guess, but... Obviously, that's not a real town, at least to my knowledge. But this map maker, who was a fraud, would write this down, and he would be outed as a fraud. And the point is that even though the sign was there, that Smillersburg or whatever fake town was there, pointed to the reality of it being there, it didn't really exist. It was this fake town. And this can be applied to the Jew and circumcision. Are you following me? Just because you have the sign did not mean the Jew had the substance. It's really important that we understand that. So look back with me at Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not. By the letter. Verse 28, Paul isn't saying that the sign of the old covenant wasn't physical. Of course it was physical. He is saying that it pointed to the ultimate reality, which was circumcision of the heart by the spirit through faith, which was not a physical thing. And if you didn't have the circumcision of the heart, then it was as if you didn't have the circumcision at all. Because it was meaningless. Without the substance, it was like the physical thing, the outward sign is meaningless. Just like Millersburg. If Millersburg didn't exist and the sign was still there, what good is the sign other than, other than deceiving people? So second, that's the sign. It's pointing to the reality of, of, of the substance. The second thing is, what does it mean that circumcision is a seal? A seal. John Murray says again, a seal is authenticates, confirms, and guarantees the genuineness of that which is signified. So the seal image that Paul is using may be somewhat archaic or unfamiliar with us today. And I'm not talking about the animal either, Um, even though they're fun to watch on Animal Planet. Um, The seal was the idea of a wax seal that would be added to a letter or a scroll that a king or an important official would stamp with their ring to show that this letter was from them, like a stamp of authentication. And what this seal also meant was not, the, not just that it's from the king or this important official, but it also meant that they guaranteed the contents of the letter, whatever it promised, if the proper conditions were met. It was a promise. I remember back... When Lindsay and I were planning our wedding, and uh, I know I was thinking about this. I can't remember if I bought the wheel, the, the wax seal kit, or if it was gifted to me. It was a gift, okay. It was a gift to me, and I was really excited because I wanted a wax seal kit. And if you've ever used one before, you have this little stick of wax, and you have a, you just a melt it, and you have a candle or some sort of lighter, and you melt it over the envelope, and then once the little blob of wax falls, you take your ring or the there's a stamp and you'd stamp it down and kind of press it down let it solidify well, we got one with a big e you know for eating we're going to stamp all of our all of our wedding invitations with that but the whole process of doing that was a nightmare so we ended up just doing um, family and maybe some close friends um, and there was one invitation that i did that was just perfect i mean it looked good and I took it to my friend who was, it was addressed to, and I was bragging about this seal. And, and he just tore it off and gave it right back to me. And uh, you better believe I still have it today. I was pretty, pretty happy with my seal. So that's been sitting in my office for a while. But uh, it was my prized possession. Uh, anyways, I bought the wax seal kit for fun. But back in Paul's day, this, this wasn't a fun-to-do hobby. This was how letters from important officials were authenticated. You know, official letter from the king means this is legit, this is the real deal. And Brian Chapel says, circumcision was God's way of marking his people with a visible pledge to honor his covenant for those who expressed faith in him. Just as a seal is a pledge of its author that he will uphold his promise when described conditions are met, So circumcision was God's pledge to provide all the blessings of his covenant when the condition of faith was met. So again, circumcision was a sign which was pointing to the reality of the substance, pointing to the reality of righteousness by faith possessed, and a seal guaranteeing that all those who trust in God by faith alone will be justified. But if you look back In verse 10, we see that Paul makes a big deal about the order of circumcision. The order of circumcision. Verse 10. So, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. So, was Abraham justified by faith before or after he was circumcised? Paul answers this question. It was not after, but before. Really simple reading, right? This seems pretty simple so far. Before he was circumcised. Why does the order matter? This isn't Paul's trivia to the Jews, you know, did you know? No, there's a reason why he's bringing this up. Why does this matter? And if you've zoned out to this point, now might be a great time to Focus in because this is why Paul brings this up. (laughs) So after Paul says in the first part of verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He goes, why? What was the purpose then? He goes on. Read the rest of verse 11. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. You see, circumcision came after Abraham was justified to make this exact point. Justification comes through faith alone. Period. In Genesis 15, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Fourteen years later, in Genesis 17, God then institutes circumcision. If circumcision had anything to do with with justification of those under the old covenant, then it seems really odd that it happened 14 years after, in Genesis 15, where God says, your faith is counted as righteousness, and then institutes it in, in chapter 17. Seems really odd, 14 years later. As John Murray says again, circumcision could have no instrumentality, no means in Abraham's justification by faith. And therefore, that justification by faith is as relevant to those who are uncircumcised as those who are circumcised. You see what's going on here. Look at verse 12. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The reason circumcision came after justification by faith was so that Abraham would become the father of all of all who believe. The Gentile who is uncircumcised and the Jew who is not simply circumcised, simply physically circumcised, but the Jew who is circumcised in his heart. Justification by faith for Jew, for Gentile. Galatians 3.7 says, those who believe are children of of Abraham, those who believe. You probably all know this song. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. So you see, all those who believe, Abraham is our father. And you see the language used in verse 12 That Abraham was the father of those who walked in the footsteps of the faith. Remember this phrase. This is really important. Who walked in the footsteps of the faith that Abraham had. The picture that Paul gives us when he says walked in the footsteps of the faith is that of marching in file. This is the image Paul is giving us. Marching in file. Has anyone ever seen the movie Gettysburg? an old, old film. Uh, I I really enjoy it. Um, There's a prequel to that film called Gods and Generals. And there's a scene in that film where Colonel Chamberlain has to help train his newly formed main regiment to march in column. And it's a a huge thing because they had to march in column and then be able to march in column and then get into firing lines. And they had to do this in prompt fashion because, you know, they were being shot at and they needed to do it quickly because the battle was going on. So this was a big thing for them to get down to march in column sounds easy but when you're doing it with a lot of men to walk in sync not so easy i know a little bit about this because uh a while ago i participated in the 150th anniversary of the battle of gettysburg the reenactment obviously um which was awesome to take part in. And they had to spend some time training us. There was hundreds of men there. Well, ultimately, there was thousands of men. But we spent an afternoon learning how to march in column. And we would do it over and over and over again. And then we would march in column and then get into firing lines. And so no one was shooting at us, at least that I know of. But So it was a training thing that we had to do. It wasn't very simple. And... Maybe that isn't the most accurate picture because when Paul says marching in file, he's saying one by one. So like, you know, remember back in school, in line for the bathroom where you had to go to next, your next class or something and the teacher made a big deal about stay in line. It was marching in file, not two men next to, to each other and there's men behind you. It was one line. This is the idea that Paul is giving us, marching one by one in line. Which means we are not to go our own way. We're not to go our own way. In fact, if we do go our own way, that path, that marches you straight to hell. We're setting our feet in the same footprints. There is only one way, one path to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the reason Paul even had to bring this up was because the Jews did not understand the simple lesson of justification by faith. Even after Christ had came and completed all his work, teaching that salvation only came by trusting in him alone by faith, dying on the cross, and being resurrected on the third day, there were many Jews who thought and taught that circumcision somehow played into the equation of their justification or to be justified fully. They were mixing in work with their faith, thinking that they were being faithful. Thinking that they were being faithful. And Paul puts the thinking to death. Look at verses 13 and 15. For the promise to Abraham and his seed that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of what? Of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. For if it is the adherence of the law who are to be heirs, the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. The promise to Abraham and his seed, that they would be heirs of the world, which is just a summary of the covenant, of the promise, heirs of the world, which is the same promise to us today, did not come through law or any way through obedience, through faith, through the righteousness of faith, And if the promise came through the law, which demands perfect obedience, then what point is faith? What point is faith? It becomes meaningless, void, null. Rather, the law brings wrath. It brings the wrath of God because we cannot perfectly obey. We're sinners by nature, And we are the ungodly, if you flip back to verse 5 in this chapter, the ungodly that Paul mentions. If there was no law, then there would be no transgression. But Paul already labored to explain early in Romans that we are all under law. The Jew, the, the tablets, and the Gentile written on our hearts that our conscience bears witness to. Everyone is under law, which means there is wrath because there's transgression because we cannot perfectly obey you following me. If justification was meant to come through obedience, through the law, then it would have come through the law. Because there's not plan A and plan B, there is just plan A. And the plan from the very beginning, from the very beginning was through faith. Plan A, through faith. And this all seems simple. Right? This seems simple. I mean, we've all heard this before. We're a highly churched area. And this lesson of justification and blessedness seems like an obvious lesson. But so often it can be the obvious lessons that we fail to learn. Many Jews who had the oracles of God for thousands of years failed to understand this basic, and I mean basic Lesson: They had Jesus in the flesh and his apostles teach this very same truth to them, to their faces. And many of them failed to grasp it or outright rejected it. Why do you sit here in your seats this morning and think that you too are immune from misunderstanding this? Why do we sit here thinking, well, the Jews misunderstood it and so did these people, but I do not. I cannot. We fall into the same trap. Friends, do not think you're immune from misunderstanding this basic, basic truth. Do not realize and the Im- implication for the Christian today. Here, here's some subtle ways I think we are twisting this in our own minds, in our own hearts. Do not realize that whether you spend five minutes in prayer or the whole day, that you are not more justified? Do you not realize that whether you didn't wake up for your devotional time this week at all or last week, or you woke up this whole month faithfully, that you are not more justified? Do you not realize that whether you have one verse memorized, which is probably John three sixteen, or chapters of the Bible memorized, that you are not more justified? Do you not realize that if you are not walking in the same footsteps, the exact same footsteps of Abraham, that you are walking on the broad road, which Jesus talks about, that leads to destruction, to hell? Abraham, had nothing to offer God for his righteousness. It was out of God's sheer mercy and grace that he saved Abraham out of his good pleasure. Out of his good pleasure. And if you think I'm belittling the importance of the Christian walking a holy and obedient life, then you don't understand what I'm saying at all. That is not what I am belittling. What I am talking about is mixing our justification with what we have to offer with our obedience. Presenting yourself as a living sacrifice to God does not earn God's smile. Presenting yourself as a sacrifice to God does not earn God's smile. And I think many of us here sit in this room and in Holmes County and surrounding areas operate this way, thinking they wake up and they have to earn God's smile. That's twisting it, friends. In fact, As R.C. Sproul said, the only thing we can earn or the only thing we can merit is eternal damnation. As Christians, it's so fundamental that we get this. So fundamental. As Christians, we start with God's smile. So then we can offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice. We start with God's smile. That's why it's so important to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day. If you wake up in the morning and you think, I have to earn something from God, fundamentally misunderstood the gospel. Paul is speaking to you here. It is not your work, your circumcision, that justifies you or even adds to it or keeps you justified. None of that. You start that way as a Christian because by faith, you're in Christ. By faith, you're in Christ, which means that God can do nothing but smile at you. He looks at you as if you are Christ in the sense of that you have obeyed perfectly and never broke one of his laws and that you are holy and blameless. Is that now how how Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians? That's how the church is gonna be holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle. That is how the Lord looks at you if by faith you trust in him. We have God's smile, church. We don't need to earn it. Our justification has nothing to play with how well we've obeyed. Please understand this. And to say further, we're also not justified by a mere outward walk or a mere profession of faith. Not a profession of faith. Where maybe some of us in this room grew up in the walk the aisle culture, walk down to the altar, and then you would maybe sign your Bible on the date that you did this or you'd sign your card. This is the date that I was saved. My friends, if that is what we are looking back to as our assurance of salvation, that I am justified, you've twisted it completely. That is not what we look to. We look forward to the cross, continuing trusting in Him. Because if we're looking back to some past event, and some of us might have a grand testimony, and some of us were always raised Christian, and we never knew a day That we didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise God for that. That should be the normal Christianity. And that's what God normally wants for families, for children, never to know a day where they never said, I don't know Jesus. But they grew up in the faith. But there's many of us in this room who don't, or have family members in this room who don't have that testimony. And yet God, by His sheer grace, saved them. And that is a tremendous blessing as well. And they have the story of they were walking in darkness. And God, Qualified them for the kingdom of light, for the Son of light, the Son of His love. So, a mere profession. Here's what I have. You know, so, some people, they have it right in the front of the Bible, and I'm not saying it's bad to have that there, but that's not what our anchor is. That's not what we're, we're resting in. Looking forward to the cross. That's like uh, resting in your profession of faith. But back in the prayer room, we were talking about how Benny will say, Lord, Lord, well, they, sure, they certainly professed faith. Lord, Lord, I did all this, look at my works. I professed, I never knew you, the Lord Jesus says. I never knew you. So we're not justified by mere outward walking, and we're not justified by a mere profession of faith. You say, but Taylor, doesn't scripture say anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord they will be saved? Yes, it does say that. But Paul isn't just talking about, I believe. He's talking about a genuine trusting faith, which which Eric labored last week to explain. Again as a reminder, that faith is is knowing that the facts are true, but trusting in Christ. The facts of the gospel, which most of Christianity, most of America knows the facts of the gospel. To witness to someone, if you say, "Hey, who, who's Jesus?" You know, they're going to have some sort of answer. In America, it's probably not right, but they're they're not unfamiliar with the name. Probably because they mostly heard it blasphemed on all the movies that we watch, where they use Christ's name in vain. But it's it's throughout our culture, you know, a mere profession of faith. It's a trusting your entire life to Christ. Like the example Eric had last week, Genesis 15. God tells Abraham that your descendants are going to be like the stars, and he takes him outside of the tent and says, Look up. All the stars, if you can number them, these are how many they're going to be. And Abraham doesn't go, But God, he goes, I believe you. I believe you. It didn't mean he didn't have some tension in his heart or some questions because there is that with faith sometimes. We have genuine questions. But Abraham said, you know what? Despite all my questions, despite I have no answers, I believe you. And the reason why it's so hard, I think, for us especially in Western Christianity and especially in this area, which is so prominent on works, which is so prominent on works, is it's so hard to get in our bloodstream. That it is by faith. By faith. Ah, that's too easy. That's easy believism. No, you weren't listening to what I just said. It's not just mere profession. You offer nothing for your salvation. Not one thing. Not one There used to be a ministry based out of Pittsburgh, I believe, and they would um, ask professing Christians questions, you know, when they were leaving church, they'd they'd come out. um, And they would come over to Ohio, and they would ask people the question, and I want you to think about this. They said, say that you died and you went to heaven, and God was standing at the door, and he says, why should I let you in? Why should I let you in? the question that these people would ask is what's your response God asks you that question what's your response and if your response is anything less than Christ Christ because I I believed in him I did this I did that you know I uh, was faithful to come to church my whole life. Never missed a day. I drive a horse and buggy. I don't drive a car. I read my Bible every week. I have memorized so much. I have evangelized these many people. I've handed out these many gospel tracts. I've done this. I've done that. And the sad thing is, with those questionnaires, the response back was overwhelmingly "Oh, well, God has to let me in." It' said, "Oh yeah,, because well, you know, the gospel, but I mean, I did this, I did this. Somehow that we have made ourselves acceptable in any way, we've twisted the gospel completely, totally. It's not belittling works, friends. It's where does works fit into the Christian life? If we mix that up you've misunderstood the gospel. By faith alone, it really is that simple. But simple things, sometimes, can be the hardest things to grasp. And the thing is, we know more than Abraham. Abraham believed in the promise, believed in God's promise, but we know the name of that promise. We know who that promise is, Jesus Christ. Much more responsibility do we have even than Abraham because we know Christ, our Lord and Savior. Worship team, you can come on up. So I ask you today to ponder this not just today but this week and moving forward are you walking in the footsteps of Abraham or are you walking in the footsteps of man made religion whose footsteps are you following are you presenting anything to God as if it earns you anything from him Are you living as if you could earn God's favor or are you living in the light, in light of the fact that you already have the favor of God, being in Christ Jesus? You are no more justified from the very first moment you believe to the very last moment you breathe, being called home to the Lord. You are not more justified today than you were last Sunday when you were sitting here. This lesson is simple. Don't miss it. Some of you in this room right now may walk away with hardened hearts, being deceived, and miss this. understanding this intellectually, but being deceived in our hearts. The blessing is to be justified, to be declared righteous in Christ. And this blessing is to all who believe. Believe in Christ and all who He is and all He has done. Your works play no part in your standing before God. Praise God for that. It is all by grace. And what freedom that brings to our life because we sin and we sin miserably sometimes. Praise be to God. It is by His grace and grace alone. Christians, we have something to sing about then, something to praise about. For those in this room who know this truth, an amazing truth but for those in this room who do not know this truth under the wrath of God still turn to Him today believe in Him it is really that simple let's pray Heavenly Father thank you that it is by your grace alone that saves us we have nothing to present to you for our salvation you are so so kind to give us your Son, who not only died for us, but who lived for us, who lived the life we could not live, so that when, you, when we stand before you one day, O oh Lord, you do not look at what we have done as far as how to get into the kingdom. look at Christ. It's amazing, Lord. May this truth go forth in our hearts today. And may we be motivated to share this with those who don't grasp this. Lord, by your Spirit, encourage us today with this truth. And we pray all this in Christ's wonderful, majestic name. Amen. Amen.